Well, um, the sun's out today. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Part of that because we have kind of a heavy, heavy topic to deal with. The sun always helps. So uh, I'm glad it's out. Let's uh, go ahead and open our Bibles to First Peter, New Testament, First Peter chapter 4. Uh, if you're a guest with us, just so you know what we're doing, uh, we're in a series called Aliens. Uh, it's, it's basically an in-depth study of this letter the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians in the early church, explaining to them that because of their faith in Christ, because of their reverence for God, because of their desire to obey God, that they were going to be sometimes misunderstood by the culture around them. They might even be viewed as a really strange and, and alien-type people. Uh, he writes about how through faith in Jesus, God's grace changes things. It changes us from the inside out. And our lives display that change, you know, publicly, privately, individually, corporately. And as we've learned along the way, when Peter wrote the letter, uh, not only were Christians experiencing trials common to just everyday life, but were also suffering uh, religious persecution inflicted on them by the unjust brutality of one man that was Nero, the emperor of Rome. And uh, because of what was happening to people, because of the violence, because of the the injustice, because of the pain, the grief, and just the heartache of everyday life, Peter makes suffering a major theme in the letter. He talks about it in every chapter. Uh, And in fact, as we come to the end of chapter 4, he addresses the issue once again. He starts by saying this in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Praise God you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, before we talk about this, uh, about this, let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we are thankful for the sunshine today, a reminder of your goodness to us and how you provide for our needs every day. The sun is a reminder of the creation that you've, you've placed us in for our enjoyment and for our benefit. We recognize that even in the midst of all the goodness and the beauty, um, that there are challenges. And so I pray this morning that uh, in the moments we have ahead, that you would just give us um, the ability to put out of our minds those things that might distract us so that we might hear the truth and hear what you have to say to us. I pray that you would remove any influences that would keep us from hearing. And we offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been thinking uh, a lot about it about how when um, facing difficulties in life, or as, uh, as Peter puts it, when we suffer grief and all kinds of trials, how often the first thing that kind of pops into our heads is the question of why me, God, you know? Why me? Why am I sick when others around me are healthy? Why are my relationships falling apart when other people seem to have ones that are thriving? Why did I get rejected by the college or grad school I applied to and wanted to attend? Why did my father die? Uh, why does my child have a disease? Why did I lose my job? Why, why do others treat me so unfairly when all I'm, just, all I'm trying to do is just do good, what's right and good? And, you know, why is life so hard for me? 
Have you ever had questions like that? I think most of us probably have at some point or another. And it's not so much that they're bad questions necessarily, but the questions may reveal an underlying assumption by which we operate. The assumption that life is going to be or should be easy and trouble-free. Now, I don't think any of us here are so naive as to actually believe that. And yet, we do tend to be shocked when trials enter our experience. And as a result, some people, even those in the church, get really angry at God. You know, we feel betrayed, let down, abandoned. We lose faith. I got a call this week from a friend of mine I haven't talked to in over 25 years. Uh, we connected on Facebook, and so he gave me a call. We were talking on the phone. Last time I talked to this guy, he was studying to be a pastor. And uh, he was telling me uh, that uh, after a number of very painful experiences, uh, one being, one particular being the sudden death of a very close friend, he was telling me how he got really angry at God, and he left the church, and he, he, he left that whole idea of ministry behind and had nothing to do with any of it for years and years and years. And he said eventually he worked through it and God got a hold of him and, and he's now back serving and teaching in his church, which is why he called, he wanted some advice on something. But I would summarize my friend's experience this way. He was surprised by suffering. And here's the deal. Peter writes to Christians in the church in an effort to keep that from happening, to, to help us understand that biblical Christianity doesn't guarantee anyone a life free of pain, suffering, or even persecution. Jesus never promised that. He, he did the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. He said, I have overcome the world. Here's my Reiki summary of that. Nobody gets out of this life alive and unscathed, including the decent, kind, and religiously moral. No amount of, of money, influence, planning, or good works can prevent injury, illness, loss, betrayal, financial failure, unjust treatment, or a host of other troubles from entering our experience. And, you know, it's not, it's not that life is, is all bad, because you know it's not. I mean, there are a lot of good and wonderful things that happen to us in life. But, but in this rebellious and broken world of ours, life can be, and at some point or another, will be tragic. And in order to make it through those times without losing faith, without being decimated, uh, some of us may need to reevaluate and rewire our thinking, which in my opinion, opinion demands accepting a number of, of key spiritual realities. The first reality, Peter says, is this, that no matter what you're inclined to think, there is nothing, there's nothing strange about suffering. Now, here's what Peter's not su- saying. He's not suggesting that life isn't somehow better for us as Christians, I think, I think that it is. I think it's better for us because in Christ, we have a right relationship with our creator, with a loving God, a relationship that is based on his grace alone. And so it's a relationship that's secure in and through uh, every circumstance and situation, good, bad, or in between. You know, God is with us. God is for us, no matter what we do, no matter what happens to us. And um, in that, we find hope. You know, we live with a supernatural power, God himself, who helps us through every day guarantees us tomorrow, even life everlasting. And there's, there's a great degree of peace and security in knowing that. So arguably, life is better for Christians, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean we're spared from suffering in a world where everyone and everything is contaminated by, by uh, evil and, and by sin. Peter says, he says, so don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised by suffering. I was thinking through it, and you know, for me, I don't know how you feel about it, for me, there's a significant difference between expecting suffering and not being surprised by it. 
Here's what I mean. I don't think Peter is telling us that we're to walk through life all paranoid. You know, just watching and waiting for the hammer to drop, for bad things to happen. We walk around with this big giant black cloud around us, this cloud of pessimism and doom and gloom. I don't think that's what he's saying. On the contrary, as Christians, we should live every single day keenly aware of God's goodness, enjoying it, celebrating all the wonderful things he gives to us by way of his grace and mercy. But when trials come and we're faced with problems and pain and tragedy, we're just not surprised by it. It doesn't take catch us off guard. William Shakespeare said, each new moon, new widows howl, each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven in the face, which was just his poetic way of acknowledging every single day, uh, accidents happen, illness happens, injustice happens, pain, evil, death happens, and it happens to all of us. And Peter said, don't be astounded by that. Don't be, uh, don't panic over it. And don't think that it is It is unique to your experience alone because it's not. It's not like God has targeted you or just me for pain. It's just that he hasn't exempted us from it. Jesus tried to explain this one day to a group of people who were asking him questions about life and the uncertainties of it. He he tried to explain how tragedy and death take no particular aim at wickedness and take no particular detours around righteousness. They simply come. They come as part of the rhythm of a world out of sync Jesus put it this way. He said, the sun rises on the evil and the good. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, i.e. suffering plays no favorites. Some of you know I have two kids. I love them dearly. And as a parent, there's been a part of me that has always wanted to somehow shelter them from hurts and pains that that happen in life. Um, But obviously, I can't do that. Right? Because there are no exemptions. There are no pain-free lives. And so as a father, I've just over the years tried to be honest and, and to offer wisdom and to help prepare them the best I can for those harsh realities of life. Well, way more so than me, God is a wise and loving father who does the same for his children. He's honest with us and wants to prepare us for the challenges that will come so we're not surprised when they do. A second reality about suffering is this. Peter says, suffering tests spiritual authenticity. Notice he writes, do not be surprised at the fiery trial or the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, come on you to test you. And um, the Greek term we translate fiery ordeal here was used in the ancient world of the fire of a blast furnace, essentially, a fire that refined metals, you know, where the the intense heat burned off the dross, it burned off the impurities, and you're left with just pure, the pure metal. And all throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, fire is used as a metaphor for suffering. And Peter simply picks up on that biblical metaphor. So in short, he is saying that fiery, the, the fiery ordeals or suffering has a way of proving or disproving the purity of our faith, ultimately revealing in, in what or in whom we trust. Because a fiery ordeal is any situation in which, in which something really dear to us, something valuable to us, is lost or taken away. Our health, our money, material possessions, uh, freedom, family, relationships, our career, whatever. I mean, let's face it, without, without suffering, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to say, I love God, and I, I trust God, and I worship God, and I live for God. 
But it's not until we're in the fire that those claims get tested and all the superficial religiosity and cliches and theological ideologies get burned away and what we truly believe gets revealed. Why should that surprise us? I mean, suffering is at the heart of the Christian message, of the Christian story. Again, Jesus told Peter and all of his disciples that he said, in this life, you're going to have trouble. You will have trouble. And who better to warn them of that than Jesus himself, the supreme example of suffering. He knew pain. He knew the pain of poverty and homelessness, the pain of loss, of betrayal, of rejection, of slander, persecution, physical abuse, the pain of death itself. And if Jesus suffered grief and all kinds of trials, who are we to expect anything less? Should we? Probably not. Which is why Peter goes on to say, if you, if you suffer like Jesus, rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, as most of you know, Peter was a firsthand witness to everything that Jesus went through. And so he's saying to, to Christians in the church, he said, look, when we suffer, he says, we essentially experience some of the things that Jesus experienced. What happened to him happens to us. I know a guy who works in a successful company that was started by his dad. Not an unusual thing. Uh, in some of cases, and, and in this one in particular, um, successful um, parents who start businesses, uh, when they got started, they, I mean, they struggled. They kind of lived in poverty for a while. They worked 20 hours a day, made incredible sacrifices to get the company to where it is, and realized that their children are never going to fully understand what they went through. And so in, in some of these cases... They allow their kids to start uh, at the bottom of the business, you know, to experience some of the hard knocks or maybe even encourage them to go out uh, on their own and try to make it on their own, which means adult children of successful parents may live in less than ideal housing and struggle with low wages and all of that. But eventually they, they may come back to the family and they, they rise to the executive offices. And, and, and then one day they can honestly say, you know, Dad, I can't fully understand everything you went through to get to where you are and where we are today. But man, I am glad I experienced some of what you experienced. I love you and appreciate you so much more knowing what you've done, knowing your sacrifices. I'm a better person for it. I'm a better business executive because of it, because I went through at least some of what you went through. I didn't like it at the time, but I'm glad now. Peter's saying the same thing. He's saying, look, be glad you've experienced some of the things Jesus experienced because it allows you to better understand what he went through. And to have a greater love and appreciation for his sacrifice. And in the end, you're going to be overjoyed when his glory is ultimately revealed. In other words, if we share in Christ's suffering now, someday we'll share in his glory. And then we're going to be really happy. But please, don't, don't misunderstand. When we suffer, it's not that we deny the pain. It's not that we revel in the pain. It's just that through the pain, we can rejoice in the participation, recognizing that Jesus went through the same thing. We share it with him. So Peter says, if you suffer like Jesus, rejoice. But he says, if you suffer for Jesus, you're blessed. Notice verse 14, he says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The Greek term for insulted here means to be verbally abused, slandered, mocked because of what you believe. And the term for blessed carries the idea of receiving a benefit from one's superior. And when used in the New Testament, the term specifically refers to the to divine favor 
bestowed on human beings, although that favor may not necessarily involve a pleasant experience. It's the exact same word Jesus used when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Obviously, persecution is not something that feels good, but if and when it happens, Jesus said, there is favor bestowed. And Peter's simply affirming that. He says, look, if you are verbally abused and mocked uh, for being a Christian, you're blessed, you're favored. Because he says the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that if and when we're persecuted for being a Christian, we can be sure that God's spirit is with us and in us. And here's why. There are a number of different ways that we can be identified as Christians uh, through our orthodox understanding of Jesus and how salvation comes through faith in him alone, by grace alone. Uh, We can be identified by our involvement in a local church, uh, even through our baptism. But the reality is this. A lot of people can regurgitate Orthodox Christian teaching. You know, they can they can celebrate Easter, they can celebrate Christmas, and many attend worship services, they can share in commun- communion, even in baptism. But Peter says, make no mistake about it. The undeniable benchmark of authenticating one's Christianity is whether or not you're, you will tolerate suffering for naming Jesus as Savior. Because suffering separates the wheat from the tares, the spiritual from the superficial, followers from the fraudulent. And a fraud can learn all the facts, memorize the cliches, do a lot of good things, but they they will not suffer. They will not suffer. They won't do it. And Peter says, if you get insulted and persecuted for naming Christ, you're favored, you're blessed, you have the Spirit of God in you. You are one of His because you wouldn't tolerate the suffering if that weren't true. But here's the caution. He says, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God you bear that name. Translation, if you suffer insult or persecution, make sure, Peter says, it's not because of of your sin, but it's because of your Savior. Uh, Let me tell you, there there are some people in the church who who get themselves in trouble and suffer because of it. But rather than taking personal responsibility, in some cases, they they try to blame it on God, kind of blame it on being a Christian. Uh, I knew this guy in college who just constantly whined about being mistreated at, at work, all in his mind, all because he was a Christian. And I believe he was a Christian, but he also, I'm just going to be frank, he was a jerk. He was, he was a rude, obnoxious, loudmouth know-it-all who was lazy, went in late, was irresponsible. And so most of his suffering, I got to say, had nothing to do with Jesus. And that's, that's kind of what Peter's getting at. He says, don't suffer for being a murderer, a thief, or a criminal, obviously. He says, but don't even suffer as a meddler. The term meddler refers to someone who sticks their nose in other people's business, but it goes further than that. It carries the idea of being a self-appointed judge. See, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I think we all realize we're called to live good, humble lives. In a nutshell, we love God with all of our heart, mind, and strength, and we're called to love others as much as we love ourselves. But we, we are not called to go out into the world and be obnoxious, self-appointed correctors of the community. We're never told to go and arrogantly judge and stick our nose in other people's business. And even if and, if and when uh, we find ourselves in a situation or in a relationship where we're able to share or invited to share what it is we believe, truth about Jesus, about sin, about our need for God's grace, Peter says in chapter 3 we're to do it how? With humility, gentleness, and respect.
Why? So if you are mistreated, it's not because you're a criminal or a self-righteous slob. That's why. But because you're a what? A Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, Catholic? No, but because you're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. And then Peter says something interesting in verse 17. He says, For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And it's, it's important to point out here that the term judgment isn't about condemnation. It's about a judicial declaration based on evidence. Or to put it another way, suffering for Christ will expose and identify those who are true believers and those who are not. And if we who are genuine Christians have to suffer, at least we have the hope and promise of relief coming, of eternal life, right? But, but for those who reject Jesus, who refuse to embrace the good news of God's grace, their day of true suffering has yet to come. Because you see, some suffering is temporal, some suffering is eternal. Peter continues in verse 18 by quoting the wisdom of the Old Testament, the wisdom of Proverbs. He says, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What does he mean by that? He's just simply saying, hey, look, for the moment in this world, in this life, we're going to have trouble. He says, and it may be hard. It may be hard to be a follower of Jesus, may be hard to be a Christian, but in the end, it'll be much worse to be an unbeliever. So with all I've said, Peter then offers this final statement of chapter four. He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In other words, he says, when you suffer in whatever shape, way or form, whatever, you know, whatever causes the suffering, he says, hold on to God and trust him. And I want to make sure we pick up on the subtle but important fact here, namely that we may suffer according to God's will, Peter says. And there are some Christians today who either have difficult time uh, accepting this or simply choose to deny the reality of it. And they will try to tell you that, that if you just do God's will, if you're good enough, if you have enough faith, you won't have to suffer. You'll, you'll have your health and your wealth and, and, and a, pain, a pain-free existence. Trust me, friends, that, that's not true. That is not biblical. And anyone who wants to argue the point can argue with Jesus who said, in this world you will have trouble. Or they can argue with the Apostle Paul who wrote Christians in the church and he says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Or they can take issue with Peter who couldn't be any clearer. He says, there are times when obeying God, doing God's will, directly leads to pain and persecution. I mean, he's already wrote about it. He wrote about it in chapter 2 and 3. He said that doing what's good and right is not always going to be easy. And sometimes it results in suffering. Remember? He said, Jesus suffered for doing what's right and good we may suffer as well. And if it happens, we're to commit ourselves and our situation to God and obey him no matter what. In fact, Peter refers to God as who? He refers to him as our faithful creator. You realize this is the only time in scripture this title is used for God. And really, what better, what better time than this when discussing the issue of suffering? Because frankly, suffering is a harsh reality that's, that's difficult to understand and wrap our brains around, let alone accept and deal with. But this title for God is meant to comfort us because it carries the idea of authority, power, uh, immutability, and divine sovereignty. And the message is that God Almighty, our creator, is in charge of this universe. And no matter what happens to you or what happens to me, he is faithful to us. And so with confidence, we commit to him, we hold on, and we obey, and we let the chips fall where they may. I'm guessing there's some of us here this morning who are here having a hard time doing that and struggling in that. And if that's true for you, then don't forget that God himself has gone before us. 
rejected by his own nation, questioned by those closest to him, betrayed by his best friends. The religious experts criticized him. The authorities victimized him. Lawyers lied about him. He was falsely accused, unjustly condemned for things he never did, humiliated, abused, sentenced to public execution. And yet he remained faithful to the mission of rescuing us. And despite all the pain, his last words, Jesus, he said this, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit into your hands. I thought about that this week. That, you know what? That's a pretty good prayer to pray in the midst of suffering. See, here's the reality. In this broken world, all we have to do is live long enough and we will eventually suffer. How are we going to handle it? That's the question. D.A. Carson is a very well-known Christian theologian and author. And in his book, How Long, O Lord, Reflections on Suffering and Evil, he summarizes it this way. He says, Christian beliefs aren't to be stacked in the warehouse of the mind. They're to be handled and applied to the challenges of life and discipleship. Otherwise, they're incapable of bringing comfort and stability, godliness and courage, humility and joy, holiness and faith. He says, I suspect the reason why it's so hard for many of us to to uh, live out the implications of our theology is that we do not deeply feel the truths we espouse. My creed may tell me I'm a sinner, that I deserve judgment, that all I enjoy in life is as a gracious gift from God and that I'm in no position to expect to escape suffering. But when it comes right down to it, I simply feel my own suffering is unfair. And I think he's right. We all, we all feel that. But see, suffering is not really an issue of fairness because it's an experience we all share. It happens to all of us. And I, you know, I can't speak for you, but sometimes I'm afraid that up until this point in my life, I know very little about true suffering. But Peter, he knew about it. Although one time he tried to avoid it, right? When he saw what the world did to Jesus, he tried to sidestep the threat of suffering and denied knowing him. But eventually he repented of that. He embraced and experienced God's grace and, and vowed never to deny Jesus again. And, and at that point of commitment, he faced the reality of having to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, loss, prison, beatings, and ultimately he was put to death for being a Christian. I mean, Peter knew what he was talking about when he he wrote about suffering. His words are as relevant to us today as they were for Christians in the first century church. So let me contemporize them for us. He writes this, Dear friends at Parkview, there is nothing strange about suffering. Like it or not, it tests our faith and reveals spiritual authenticity. If you suffer like Jesus, rejoice. If you suffer for Jesus, you're blessed. Suffer according to the will of God. And no matter what, do what's right and good. Above all, hold on to and trust your faithful creator. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I, I recognize this morning that I, I have no way of knowing what my friends here to this morning are going through in life. Uh, and there may be some of us here who are really in the midst of, of challenging circumstances, tragedy, loss, uh, mistreatment, but whatever, whatever, in whatever form, uh, we're suffering, we're struggling, and uh, we're trying to make sense of it all. And in the midst of that, uh, I pray for, for each and every one of us, that in the midst of suffering that comes to all of us, that in the midst of it, Lord, we would not, we would not think that, that you're out to get us, and that our pain is unique, and that we're the target somehow of vengeance or divine retribution or or something, when in reality, we just live in a broken world. And bad things happen to all of us. And eventually, we all face the reality of death. 
And I pray that you'd help us understand that today. And, and in understanding it, may we look to you, our faithful God, who graciously offers us life, not just life today, but life eternal in and through Jesus. And so that no matter what season of life we find ourselves, whether it is a season of joy and and, uh, abundance, whether it's a season of confusion or a dark season of pain and suffering, we would trust you, we would hold on to you with all of our might and with all of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.